Happy Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is a Christian holiday. Somewhere along the way, it kind of got lost, and it became a Hallmark holiday. And, and that's wonderful as well. But today, we talk about community unity. We talk about what it means to love. And, and I'm going to share with you three biblical levels of love. There's all kinds of words for love in the, in the Greek understanding. But we're going to look at the, the levels of love. And, and I hope that you will consider honestly with yourself, where are you today in this message? And what does God want to do in your life? So I invite you, would you open your Bibles uh, to uh, Ephesians, and let's hear from God's Word today. So I've shared with you a couple of times a, a story of these brothers, and they were at war with each other, and there's a creek between them, and the brother got so mad he wanted, he got a bunch of lumber, and he said, hey, build a wall along that creek. I don't want to see my brother. I don't want to be a part of him. And then this man, who got, he just got it all wrong. He built a bridge instead. And the brother came back and he said, I can't believe what you've done, brother. All this anger, all this animosity, and you have built a bridge for us. Please forgive me. And their relationship was was renewed that day. Well, we're not talking about that today. But we have to think about that. Are you a bridge or a wall to other people? Christ is a bridge. But sadly, sometimes even we in the church, meaning well, sometimes we build walls. You know, I think about all I've been hearing out of Washington, D.C., and I wonder, where's the, where is the unity? Where is the united in the United States? And it's really difficult. They're, they're trying to bring us back together with, with words of unity. And, and sometimes I feel like the unity only happens if you put down your beliefs and believe mine politically, you know? And I, I've been kind of at in California for a long time because no one seems to believe the way I do. And I know that I am right, which means that they are not right. <laughs> you know, it, it's just been amazing this year. Uh, February is, is uh, Black History Month, and, and I've been joking, probably shouldn't tell you this, but I've been joking about it's kind of Black Rewrite History Month, because we're, we're not embracing the failures of, of us as a nation. We have terrible scars towards blacks, towards uh, Native Americans. Uh, more recently, towards immigrants. And I don't want to rewrite that. I want to improve from that. And if we're going to be a nation, a Christian nation, whatever that is, we're going to have to embrace the concept, the principles of the Bible in our individual lives. And, and that's how we'll become a better nation. 
I believe that black lives matter. Especially, I believe in the black brothers and sisters in the church. And I had the privilege to travel um, to places like Africa and Jamaica and all kinds of places where almost every face in the Church of the Nazarene is a black one. But somehow, in Christ, in the church, I have felt an immediate bond. And there was no black or white. We were just all God's children. You know, we have a black church in Sacramento, and recently, a sister church near them, their pastor retired at Sacramento New Covenant. And so they were trying to figure out because New Covenant had a very small congregation, and, and here, Friends in, in Jesus, the black church, which is almost all immigrants. Uh, and, and it's just an amazing thing. From Africa. And they're emerging. And, and they're going to try to be a new church. And it's, it's going to be interesting to watch. But you know, our church is a worldwide church international church. We have been very intentional about that. And we are intentionally interracial and international. So the Bible says that all lives matter to God. And, and so all lives, including black lives, all lives matter to all believers. That it matters to us. So today we're going to talk about racial tension in the church. The early church. The church of 2,000 years ago. In Ephesus. Ephesians 2, verses 17 through 22. It starts out with this word, He, meaning Christ, brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from Him. And He brought peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God, all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. How good and pleasant it is to live in God's harmony. Well, there were two groups in this church in Ephesus. There was the Gentiles and the Jews. Well, who are these Gentiles? If you're taking notes today, know that they were mostly minorities in the early church. Uh, they were Greek. They were Roman, they were other nations. As a matter of fact, to a Jew, anybody who wasn't a Jew was a Gentile. But these were Gentile believers, and yet they still had these racial tensions in the church. 
So some of these Gentiles were also slaves. And that happened in the early church. There were slaves, there were masters, there were those who were freed. Also, in the early church, there were what they called heathens or pagans, which really is other races, other different nations who did not know God. And one other group that is represented by the Gentiles is foreigners. And what these really are is immigrants. Immigrants. We talk a lot about immigrants in our nation today and borders and all that, but here was this church that had these different types of people. And so, but we still have these groups in the church today. So who are the Gentiles? Who, who represents the Gentiles in the Christian church today? Who represents the Gentiles in our? Well, certainly new believers. Uh, if, if they're new to the faith, you know, we who have been longer think, oh, those new people, are they going to last? You know, we, we kind of are critical of them, maybe a little judgmental. Uh, you, you know, maybe we don't trust them. And yet, hopefully, there are even some non-believers here, too. You know what? We, we, we call these people baby Christians. Were you ever a baby Christian? Maybe you were a baby Christian when you were a baby. Maybe you were one of those who was brought to church on that very first Sunday of your life, or very soon after. I see those nods. But think about this. I was a baby Christian when I was 15 years old. And, and nobody likes being called a baby Christian. Because babies are cute. Oh my goodness, you should be in room 101 today. Because there are two delightful, gorgeous little babies in there. Oh, are they decked out beautifully. For, you, you've got to see them after church, okay? But think about that, babies. Babies are cute, but they're messy. They don't have control of some of their functions. And you know what? So are baby Christians. Babies are messy, so are baby Christians. We should expect that. And we should give them grace and walk in the Younger Christians also kind of are represented uh, in... Okay? Uh, these believers can be any age. And you know what? They might also be mature for their age, but maybe we don't give them a chance. One, one of the things that we have to guard and be careful of in our church is that we are an old congregation, and a lot of you serving the Lord for a long time. And do you trust those young people? Well, let me tell you, folks, some of those young people are now 40. And, and they don't think they're that young anymore. And I do, but um, I realize it's important that we and that we hand off some of the responsibility and the leadership of the church. We have a church tomorrow. We need to be preparing the so younger Christians, even if they're forty. I'll tell you. Um, when I first started going to church, we were playing charades. And I looked at this charade that I was supposed to act out, and I had no idea what I was supposed to do. And this, I was a sophomore, and this seventh grader, Debbie Litzy, the pastor's daughter, who knew it all, 
comes up and says, oh, I know what you do. Just turn around and freeze. And I went, what? Just turn around and freeze. So I did that. I turned around and froze. And one of our team yelled out, Lot's wife turning to a pillar of salt. And I said, right. And I sat down still not knowing anything about what that was about. I was clueless. I know now. But I was so glad that that church gave me grace. A year ago, we were back there. About a year and a half ago, we were back there. And I'm like a rock star to that little church. Because I did good. Because I became a pastor. Because they believed in me. And then another group that's represented by Gentiles is non-Nazarenes. Oh, those non-Nazarenes. See, we're, we kind of have the Gentile thing going. We are the Nazarenes, and then there's non-Nazarenes in our church. you know, Or newer Nazarenes, maybe. I mean, think about this. How many of you grew up in the church of the Nazarene? How many of you grew up? So, for those of you at home, this is about... 25 to 30%. How many of you um, became a Nazarene more than 20 years ago but didn't grow up in the church? How many of those are you? So there, there's some longer time Nazarenes. Okay, good job, good. Uh, I mean, we have these people. Some of you may not even be a Nazarene yet. What is a Nazarene? I remember... Uh, first time going to that church. What in the world is the church of the nectarine, you know? I knew we were supposed to bear fruit, but what was this all about, you know? But I think about our church, and sometimes you say this to me. You say, oh yeah, I'm a Baptist. You've been going to this church for 25 years, and you're a Baptist? No, you're a Christian. Because 98% of what Baptists believe and believe are exactly the same. And the other two is just not that important. Some of you say, well, I'm a Catholic. And you know, there is something to be said to once a Catholic. But I, I embrace Catholics. I love because they're so excited about having a real personal relationship with God that they may not have had before. And they make great Christians. You can be a Catholic and a Christian even before you come to our church. But we have Pentecostals. We, we, we have all kinds of different groups. But let me tell you, these groups need to be broken down into just believers. That's what we are. So that's the Gentiles. You can add your own thoughts there. Uh, this is by no means an exhaustive list. How about the Jews? Who are the Jews? Who, who represents the Jews in the church today? Well, let's go back. The, the church were, uh, the first Jews were Israelites, children of Israel. They were God's chosen people. Now, let me tell you that we think we, as Americans, are God's chosen people today. That happens all the time. We think that. But that's what the Jews were, God's chosen people. Sometimes it didn't go very well for them, and they said, God, could you just please choose somebody else for a while? But they did. They have been a nation and, and a people that have lasted for thousands and thousands of years. All the other people are gone. Jews are still alive. 
And, and later they were called Hebrews, which really is talking about their culture. And, and this is the people of the law. They were bound together by tradition and law and legalism. And, and they did it because it was the law of God. Maybe they felt like doing it, but most did it because that was their culture. It's who we are. This is what we do. You know, that kind of thing. Later they became called the Jewish people, which really speaks of a nationality or, or even a race. Um, and today, there are many people who are Jewish who are not religious at all. So it's, it's that kind of a nationalism. For our comparisons today, let's think about this. What are these groups that are in the church today that represent the Jews? I would, I would say that one of those certainly would be cultural Christians. These are, are Christmas and Easter uh, members who may seldom or never attend outside of a wedding or a funeral. These are cultural Christians, but in fact not religious, not practicing, not worshiping. M many of these Jews might be considered old believers. I've been in the church since 1942. You know, that kind of a thing. Very stable, perhaps. Hopefully, they're growing, mature. Uh, Pastor Floyd was telling me about testimonies and, and some people who would give a testimony was something that happened 40 years ago. And, and he was bemoaning the fact, and I was agreeing with him, that, you know, our testimony ought to be a little more alive, a little more fresh than that. You know, uh, maybe some of these older believers, maybe they're kind of stuck. And I'll tell you, if, if there's anything that I've tried to get across in the last 19 and one half years, is that we got to be continually growing and, and fresh in our relationship. And then this next group, this is going to be a little sensitive. So this is the old-time Nazarenes. They've been Nazarenes since the days of not roller skating or going to the circus. Yeah, not reading the newspaper, especially the comics on Sunday, those kind of things. I remember hearing all this stuff, and I, I remember saying, Really? Really? You don't believe in movies? Really? I've seen them. Uh, you know, I believe them. I didn't get it at all. But I do now, because I'm becoming one. The older I get, the more I become stuck in my ways. I have to tell you that all of these are distinctives that are divisive in the true church. And if you're taking notes, write that down. These distinctives are divisive. Now, I don't have a problem with denominations as long as we all love Jesus. As long as we are all working together for the kingdom of God. Because it doesn't matter what little subgroup family you're a part of as long as we're part of the larger family. The church is to be one. And I don't care if you're an old-time Nazarene whose grandmother was at Pilot Point. I remember writing that, and then I thought, you know what? Pastor Vicky's grandmother was at Pilot Point. So I talked to her about this this week, and you know what she said to me? Not only that, 
but her great-grandmother on the other side of the family was also at Pilot Point. She has got double whammy. It's like they came over on the Nazarene Mayflower. I mean, this is big stuff here. Solid. You know, it doesn't matter if your grandma came into the church at Pilot Point, which is where the Church of the Nazarene merged together some groups, and that happened in 2008, uh, October 13th. If you ever want to know, just ask Kiki, because that's her birthday. And she was born on the 100th anniversary of the church, so she remembers it all. So that's a really cool thing. And, and Kiki can say, my great-great-great-grandmother was at Pilot Point. Those are all wonderful, but those distinctives don't make you a part of the family of God. Love does. And so we're going to look at three degrees of, of biblical love now. And I want to share these with you. The first one is neighbor love. This is Old Testament love, as illustrated by Leviticus. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. Now, a lot of you know that Jesus repeated this emphatically and importantly in the New Testament. But he was, he was quoting scripture. And this is the basic level of biblical love. This is not just regular love. This is biblical to love your neighbor as yourself. And then, you know, it even says, I am the Lord, which is kind of like a stamp on that. You get that? To love my neighbor, I, I make the same effort to get for my neighbor what I get for myself. So when Jesus was asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus shared one of the most wonderful stories in the New Testament. A great story. The, the story of the Good Samaritan. You know what we say, the Good Samaritan? Do you know what it says in the Bible? A certain Samaritan. We call him good because it seems so great compared to us. But he was just a certain Samaritan. Who was my neighbor? Who was a neighbor? Jesus asked at the end of that story. The one who showed mercy and love. That's what it means to love your neighbor. We had a woman in a previous church who said she could not do evangelism. We were doing a program called Team Evangelism, and in that program we learned that you don't have to go door to door and present a gospel tract to do evangelism. There are other ways. You need to find your gifts and do it your way for the kingdom of God. And so she, she thought, well, hmm. One day the Lord showed her this type of love, and she decided to try it out. And there was this house across the street that was vacant. It was for rent. And when the people arrived and moved in, she was ready. She rushed over there with coffee and donuts. And she said, I'm bringing you something to eat because I know you just moved in and you're busy. And I'll come back later and do, uh, get the dishes. Don't bother to wash them because you're busy and you just moved in. And after a while, she came back to get the dishes and she said, Hey, if you need anything else, I'm here. If, if you want anything, I'll be glad to help you. She didn't put a trap under the donut. But the next Sunday, those new neighbors were in church with her. Nice neighbor. Do you have some nice neighbors? Maybe they don't even go to church, but they're nice neighbors. We can attain this level of biblical love just by good upbringing. Just by doing what is humanly nice. 
This is minimum biblical love. That's number one, neighbor love. You can do it if you're brought up well, if you're trained well. It's humanly possible to be a good neighbor. The next level of love in the Bible is brother love. This is New Testament love. This is illustrated by Jesus when he's talking to the disciples in John 13. This is 34 and 35. So now I am giving you a commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. See, brother love is better than neighbor love. You see that? And when we think about that, when, when we think about being a neighbor, if, if my, my goodness, if think about what Jesus said. And, and, and in fact, if somebody treats me as a neighbor in the church, I'd be offended. Because we're not neighbors. We're family. We're brothers and sisters. I hear this time, well, well, she didn't say hi to me when she came here. And it could be that they're mad at you. It could be. I don't know. It could be that I'm very busy and I don't see everybody and say hi. It could be that too. But we ought to be family. Love your brother as I, Jesus, loved you. How did Jesus love? With sacrifice. He laid down his life. It was not the nails that held Jesus to the cross. This is a higher love, it, and it requires much more. But it's still not the highest level of love that Jesus wants for his family. And if you really work at it, you can love someone. I, I remember having someone that I worked with, and, and evidently we didn't like each other very much. Because one day he said, we don't like each other very much. I was kind of clueless, but I said, well, what do we do about that? And sometimes we do it because it's a commandment of God, and then it becomes real. That's brother love. That's what Jesus wants for his family. That's New Testament love. But wait, there's more. There's God-like love. A third level of love is, it goes way beyond the Old and the New Testament commandments. It is oneness love. And obviously today, we are not one. We are many groups. Denominations, um, Catholics, Protestants, Evangelicals. I mean, there's many kinds of Baptists and, and, and the Nazarenes thrown in there. And there's others as well. But truly, God wants oneness for His church. And even if we're dif different denominations, we can be one if we will submit to Christ. Look at what uh, John 17, 21, this is Jesus praying for us to be one. He says, I pray that they all will be one, just as you and I are one. Father, you are in me. Father, I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. 
verse 26, just a little further down. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. This is a level of love that is humanly impossible. You can't do this. You can't sustain this kind of oneness love. This is a love that stays put when everybody else walks out. This is Christ in you. This is oneness. This is the hope of glory. This is God's love in you. And it only happens as you submit yourself to God and the power of the Holy Spirit becomes a part of you. You see, God doesn't use our categories. God only has two groups. Those who love one another and those who don't. Now, maybe you're new to all of this and you're kind of still struggling with the neighbor love. Great, keep going, take steps, but know that there's more ahead. And God will be with you, he'll help you. Then you get to that brother love. But hopefully all of us as Christians will get to this oneness love. And let me tell you, I would like to think that all of us as Christians are there, but we are not. We are not there, we don't have oneness. Even within our own church, we don't have oneness. We don't see this love illustrated very often, but Jesus talked about it. He told a story in Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. Now, they all heard this, uh, this story, and they're thinking, well, am I a sheep or a goat? So think about yourself. Where are you today? You, if you try to move a flock of sheep, do you know what happens? They all try to do the same thing, and, and, they, and, they, and they become one body. And even if they're going down a hill that's too steep or a cliff, they'll all go. Because they're one. You try to herd a group of goats and you know what they'll do? They'll start butting each other in the head. They'll fight. And it's easy to discern who's a sheep and who's a goat. I have a photo for you. Look at this. What did the sheep do? I fed the hungry. What did the goat do? Ah, whatever. They butt each other. You want to know who's a sheep or a goat? You talk to somebody even just for a few minutes. If he fights, he's a goat. If he loves, he's a sheep. And Jesus divides the sheep from the goats. God is doing more than regrouping his people. He is uniting them. And God-like love is oneness. It requires all of our effort, but it also requires the work of the Holy Spirit. So that you are emptying yourself and being filled with God's Spirit. We believe that. How can this happen in a church? There's a little book that I got when I was a youth pastor, and I love this book. It was by Juan Carlos Ortiz. He was from Argentina, and he came to speak at a youth pastor's conference. He wrote this little book, Disciple. And in this, he talks about different kinds of love. And, and there's this one type of love that he calls mashed potato love. And, and it's like this. You go out in the potato patch, and you dig up the potatoes, and every plant may have four or five potatoes, and you dig them up, and you put them in a bag, and you know what? You're thinking, oh, man. This is great. Look at how together we are. We're in the same big bag with all these other potatoes. 
but oh, that's not enough. Then they go and they get, and they get washed, and they get put in smaller bags to go to the grocery store. And then we're thinking, oh wow, we're so clean. We're we're just right there with each other. We are. We're really now. We're really doing what God wants. But 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 next at the grocery store, they're in these smaller bags, and but they're still individual potatoes. Then at home, they're peeled, and they're cut up, and they're put into a cooking pot. And now, wow, we are really close together. Now, we surely we're one. No, not yet. You see, they're cooked together. They lost a lot of their individuality by this time, but they're still not ready for the master. Because what the master wants is mashed potatoes. He doesn't want a bunch of individual potatoes. He wants one mashed potatoes. Probably likes a little gravy. It's not until they're boiled and mashed and mixed all together that they really become one. And that's what God wants for us. No superstar saying, you know, standing up and saying, look at me, I'm a big potato. Because if you're a big potato, you're not one with others. It is about you. Well, let me just tell you, it's not about you. The third degree of love is oneness. And God wants all to be blended together. One. In Jesus I was hoping to do communion today, but we're going we're gonna to do that next week. And so I want you to think about what we have talked about today, these levels of love. They're biblical. They're what God wants for us. And there are steps. You've you, you got to learn to love your neighbor, but you can't stop there. Then you've got to learn to love your brother. And then you've got you got to get this God-like love where it's not about you. It's not about your ability to love. It's about God loving through you. And wherever you are today, I pray that you will take steps forward to be more and more like Jesus. Because that's what we believe that we are to do. In our church, we believe in becoming Christ-like. It's only possible as we give up ourselves and submit to God and allow His Holy Spirit to work in and through us. And communion is a great example of that. I want you to think today about where you are. Have you been less than a brother or a sister to someone, even within the church? Maybe there's some confession and forgiveness in And be careful, because people will walk over you. And you can get a hard heart from that. But if you'll trust God and other Christians, if you'll be one, then you'll realize it is not about you as an individual. And we do a terrible thing when we try to walk through the Christian life alone. We are to be together. 
And so it is about being the church, not being individuals. So wherever you are today, God wants you to take another step closer to Him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for sending Jesus to help us learn and grow and be like Him and to be one. Make it so, we pray. Amen.